Today I'm talking with a gentleman named Ben, and for this conversation he would like to just stay as Ben. Uh, today, Ben and I are going to be talking about uh, different types of plant medicines that he works with uh, for himself and within the church that he's part of. Uh, within the church, they use uh, the plant medicine ayahuasca, but call it the daime. So today, Ben and I are going to talk about um, how they utilize this, uh, these different medicines, um, and in different ways with men's work, um, with plant medicines, with earth medicines like combo, and also synthetics like MDMA. This is a, one of my favorite conversations I've had in a long time, a very informative, and it's very just, it's such a, an honest conversation from Ben's perspective and the way that he has witnessed this medicine helping humanity. Hope you get something out of the conversation. We'll see you on the other side. All right, welcome back to our show. Uh, today, I'm sitting across from a guy that I met a couple years back, uh, right before COVID happened. Uh, this gentleman, Ben, um, does a lot of really great stuff with earth medicines, uh, from combo to ayahuasca, different types of plant medicines. MDMA is a new one we were just talking about, another type of medicine. Um, and I'm just really interested in talking with Ben a little bit more about how he utilizes these, these medicines in the practices he has. Um, he's been doing this for a long time and has a different approach than uh, what I've been personally exposed to. And that was one of the things that really drew me to you whenever we first met you know, years back. Uh, was um, the application of, of the plant medicines that you use. So, Ben, thank you so much for being here, brother. You're welcome. Thanks oh, yeah. for having me. It's great. Yeah, man. I And, you know, we uh, we kind of stayed a little bit connected through COVID. I think we traded emails a couple times just checking in with each other. Um, but as soon as I started doing this podcast and, um, you know, plant medicines have been a, a big part of my personal journey um, from, uh, well, from, uh, improper usage in my younger years, uh, to more conscious usage in my older years, uh, everything from cannabis to, um, hoppe, sananga, psilocybin. Um, personally, I have not, uh, have not tried combo or ayahuasca yet. Um, those have been uh, medicines that have been presented to me. Um, and for me personally, and I think a lot of people, when your time is right, you'll know. When your time is right to to explore these medicines, it, there'll be no question in your mind. It'll it'll pretty much present itself to you, and uh, and so part of me um, understanding where I want these medicines to land with me and help me is by talking to people like Ben, and I love the information that you have, and it's just it's a different approach to it, which is so beautiful. So, thanks for being here, brother. You're welcome. It's All really right. a pleasure. Yeah. So uh, just right off the bat, man. Um, so. You utilize uh, a plant medicine called daime, right? And uh, which is similar to ayahuasca. It's just prepared maybe a little differently, you were saying? Uh, yeah. I mean, the ingredients are pretty similar. Uh, we always keep it pure. There's no admixtures. So mm -hmm. some ayahuasca uh, will be prepared with other plants mixed into it. Uh, with the santo daime, uh, you just have the vine, the leaf, and then water and fire. All right. Yeah. But did, other than that, it's, it's the same vine and the same leaf that a lot of people use to make ayahuasca. Okay. Yeah. Do y'all import those from, uh, from South America or from somewhere else or is it? Yeah. Those materials grow, uh, originally in the Amazon rainforest mm -hmm. and that's where the use of those medicines has been, uh, in place for thousands of years. Um, they grow very well in Hawaii as well. Mm. And there's a lot of growing going on in Hawaii, a lot of plantations there. And uh, so depending on where your Santo Daimi church is affiliated with, you might be getting Daimi from Hawaii or you might be getting Daimi from uh, South America. Okay, right on. Yeah. 
So with uh, with the Santo Daime, right? So is that the uh, association of being a medicine that's associated with the church? Yeah, the Santo Daime is the name of our doctrine and our church. Uh, it literally means, in Portuguese, it means the holy give me. Mm. Daime gives, means give me. And um, it was started a little over 100 years ago uh, in Brazil, okay. in, uh, in deep in the rainforest. Um, and has kind of slowly expanded outward first in Brazil. And then, uh, now it's a global doctrine and, uh, churches all over the world. Wow. Yeah. Do you, uh, how many, how many chapters I guess would be in the Washington area? Uh, I think Washington has, I believe two churches. Uh, I'm, uh, no, I'm sorry. There are three, okay. uh, that I know of. One of them started very recently. Nice. Uh, just getting going. Um, yeah. All right. How did you get involved with the church? Uh, like a lot of people up here who get involved with the church, it's kind of word of mouth and, uh, you hear a friend, friend here, heard it from a friend, heard it from a friend. And, uh, as you said, uh, when you are ready and you get the calling and then the dime presents itself to you, uh, you answer the call. And, um, you know, when I heard, first heard about the Santa Daimi, uh, I was in the software development industry. I was raised uh, atheist. I was really um, strongly attached to being an atheist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't really interested in spirituality at all. And uh, I was going through a hard time in my life with uh, financially and uh, in my relationship and, um, yeah, a lot of challenges. And my friend told me about this thing that he was going to go do. And, you know... I thought he was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I told him so in no uncertain terms. Uh, I said, why the heck would you want to do something like that? And uh, 95% of my brain was just f- certain that that was the most ridiculous thing in the world. And there was a 5% in the back that said, hey, by the way, you're going. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I tried to ignore it for a little while, but it was just really clear. And it was some of the clearest guidance that I'd ever gotten. Mm. Uh, my my strongest intuitive hit probably to date at that point. Wow. And um I was 36 years old, I believe. And, uh, yeah, I went Mm. and, um, it it took a little while for me and the medicine to kind of, um, meet each other, Mm -hmm. uh, in a smooth way. But even at the beginning when it was a little less smooth, I got enough information that it kept me coming back for more. Wow. And, um, for me personally, that was uh, a little over 12 years ago. Um, it's transformed my life Mm. and, uh, it's really impacted the way that I think uh, the way that I identify with myself, right. you know, the way that I literally am. Yeah. Well, as a, as an atheist, like what was the, do you remember what the draw was to get you to try something that could unlock this? Did you know that that could happen going into it? Or was it just like your friend was like, Hey, just try this medicine, see what happens. Yeah, no, I didn't know anything. You know, like okay. I said, it was about 5% of my brain that was telling me I was going. That 5% wasn't very um, articulate. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know why I was going. Uh, I certainly had some health issues, and, and the offer was that the dime you could offer healing. Um, so I thought, okay, well, it's worth a shot for that. Um, but I think that the intuition, the my guidance that came through knew that the way that I was thinking about life and the way that I was acting in the world was not really, uh, doing me very good and do, doing me much good. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was time for change, a big change. And, uh, you know, the first time I went, uh, the Santo Daime is, is from Brazil mm-hmm. and, um, Brazil is one of the most Catholic countries in the world being a Portuguese colony, okay. Portugal being, you know, one of the seats of like the, the inquisition and all that stuff. Uh-huh. Um, very hardcore Catholic. Uh, and the Santo Daime is a, is a, 
a mixing of the Catholic Church and also uh, indigenous spiritual practices and also Afro-Brazilian um, spiritual practices that came wow. with the slaves. Okay. Uh, fun, fun, interesting fact. In, in the U.S., during the entire span of the slave trade, uh, we imported somewhere between 250 and 500,000 slaves wow. uh, into the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and that same time period, roughly, give or take a few decades, uh, in Brazil, they, they imported somewhere between 4 and 8 million. Holy shit. Yeah. So quite a few more wow. and uh, quite a few less uh, Europeans there to keep track of them and, and try to keep control. So the way that they dealt with their slaves was very enslaved people were very different than how we dealt with our enslaved people. Okay. And um, for better or worse, I mean, you know, uh, it wasn't a great scene for anybody. Right. And the, the enslaved people in Brazil got to keep a little bit more of their culture because okay. there were so many more of them that it was a little harder to separate them and, and stamp out their language and stamp out their practices. Okay. So, you know, they had to adapt and, and warp their practices to, um, to meet the needs of the, of the enslavers. Mm-hmm. And uh, definitely it's not the same in Brazil as it was in uh, Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are uh, strong roots. Interesting. And so some of those uh, made their way into the Santo Daime as well. So you put that all together, and the Santo Daime is uh, what we call a syncretic church, which means made up of multiple spiritual lineages that are coming together. Okay. And... Um, we say Catholic prayers uh, in both English and Portuguese. We sing a lot of songs, mostly in Portuguese, that mm-hmm. have to do with God and the Virgin Mary and Jesus and um, lots of that that kind of stuff. And uh, so I went, I showed up as an atheist uh-huh. and um, didn't really know why I was there and didn't really feel super comfortable. Yeah. Uh, didn't really feel like didn't feel like I fit in. And um, you know the nice thing about the daimi and, and uh, as a practice is that despite all the Christianity and Catholicism that influences the, the practice, there's no um, preacher. <laughs> mm. There's no sermon. Okay. Uh, there's no intermediary between you and spirit. Okay. And so you can call it whatever you want in your own internal experience. You're going to have the experience you're going to have with the medicine. It's a very mystical, Gnostic experience. And yeah, we say prayers and people who are visiting don't have to say the prayers. And we just welcome anyone to come mm. and uh, come as you are, believe whatever you like to believe. Yeah. And we'll just create a container for you to do your work and wow. your healing. Yeah. And happens to be a very beautiful container, uh, very powerful, and very well protected on a spiritual level. Mm. And so um, even though I showed up as an atheist, I was able to get really deep and beautiful healing. And after my first uh, work, which is what we call our ceremonies, we call them works. Mm -hmm. um, After my first work, I was really disappointed because I didn't have much of an experience in the work. And a couple of days later, I was driving down the road, and I had... uh, a revelation, you know, mm. uh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I had to pull over on the highway. I was like on the side of the road with my foot on the brake. I didn't even get it into park and I just had to close my eyes and receive. Wow. And, um, and, and those early days, you know, what I was really receiving was just, Hey, what you're doing is not working. Mm. You know, it wasn't even like, Hey, this is what's, this is what will work. It was just, Hey, can you see how, what you're doing is causing you misery? Wow. And, uh, and I could see it and it was, uh, devastating and beautiful and, uh, <laughs> caused me to question my entire life and yeah. all the things that, um, we have to do. Wow. You know? So it was very tremendously healing. Yeah. And of course healing can really hurt, you know, it can really, um, cause a lot of disruption, a lot of pain and uh, along the way. So yeah, it did. And it was beautiful and worth it. And it's the beautiful struggle. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. Had you uh, had you had any hallucinogenic experiences before that? I had not. In fact, I had not even smoked uh, any marijuana. I hadn't okay. used any uh, illegal drugs of any kind, yeah. as, I, as I called them then. Right, right. Uh, before I knew to, to differentiate between drugs and medicine. Uh-huh. Um, but no, I hadn't. And so, uh, I think because of that, when I first, the first few times I took the dime, I didn't really have any kind of a psychedelic experience. Uh, I think my brain was just having to build those pathways and, and learn how to, uh, create new pathways, mm. um, to allow for that, uh, communication from spirit and from the medicine. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny when you mentioned that there wasn't like a, a minister or a pastor or somebody d- directing the session immediately, my head was like, well, it's the medicine's the pastor, right? That's right. The medicine is the one that's leading the sermon and, and sharing the message and giving you the guidance that you need that that pastor or whoever would stand up and do. That's correct. In the, in the Santa Daimi, we consider that um, there's there are powerful beings that come with the medicine. Mm-hmm. And in fact, we consider the medicine itself to be a manifestation of the Christ consciousness. Mm, okay. And, you know, the Christ, that's such a loaded word. You talk about Christ, you talk about Christianity, and, and everybody's got trauma around it. Everybody's got opinions about it. Yeah. You know, you grew up in the church, you didn't grow up in the church. It's been used to uh, promote a lot of oppression in the world, and it's been misused a tremendous amount. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for sure, I came in with a lot of predisposition about that. And so when I say that I think of it as a, a manifestation of the Christ consciousness, um, what I mean is the true Christ consciousness, not like some uh, version of the Christ that's used to oppress people. Mm-hmm. And um, and so when you have a being that's, that is embodying the Christ consciousness, which is the unification of our physical world with the divine spirit, um, and you're taking that into your body, you're taking communion mm-hmm. with that Christ consciousness. And once you take communion with it, then you get to have a direct conversation with that consciousness. Yeah. And if you're having a direct conversation with the Christ consciousness, like no other human being on the planet is qualified to interrupt that conversation until you interpret it for you, right. tell you what it means. So we don't try, and we, we really um, hold it as very important not to do that. Mm. And so there are leaders of the works. There are people who are helping to facilitate the work right. um, so that it can go smoothly and be safe. Uh, there are guardianships, so we make sure everybody has what they need and helps with um, purging and whatever else needs help. Mm-hmm. But never is it to uh, be an intermediary to your spiritual experience. And so we always consider that the Virgin Mary and uh, the the Christ consciousness are the shepherds of the work, the leaders of the work. They're in command and Mm. everybody's just listening. Wow. Yeah. That reminds me of um, uh, the Vipassana meditation practice. Um, So Vipassana meditation uh, ceremonies are typically 10-day silent retreats. And, uh, and one of the reasons that the silence is there is that so we don't discuss our, our experience and either... <clears throat> encourage or discourage somebody, mm-hmm. right? So if I have my experience and I'm sitting there and all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, I just had this beautiful revelation and I saw God, I saw lights, I saw all these things. And the guy sitting next to me didn't have that similar experience. Maybe he thinks he's doing it wrong then, right? And there's no wrong, like you were saying. There's, it's going to land with us the way we need it to land when we're ready for it to land. I think that's like the, the definition of a teacher. <clears throat> you know, a teacher lets, understands where the disciple's at, knows what they're learning, knows when they can give them more, knows when they need to back off. Yeah. And that's, that's what individuates the, the learning process for the person and not the mass. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. And that's why, that's why it's so beautiful to have a master teacher that we can need to take communion with individually and we'll just meet us exactly where we are. Mm. And if you consider that being to be uh, a divine being that's fairly omniscient, uh, and knows everything about you, what you're ready for, what you're not ready for, mm. what you can handle, 
<laughs> what you can't handle. Uh, those might be very different than what you yourself think you can handle or not handle, what you are ready for, what you're trying to work on in your life. Mm -hmm. And they're certainly going to be different than what somebody else is going to perceive that you're ready for or what you're uh, capable of. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, and, and so all of that is very self-evident when you take the medicine. And it's like, oh, the medicine knows better than anything else in this world. Uh, so while I'm with the medicine, I don't really need to be with anybody else in the world. There you go. And that's pretty much like on the spiritual level, on the, on the level of spiritual work, that's our philosophy. Mm -hmm. We're still human beings on this planet. And so we can still pray together and um, give each other energy and support, uh, create safety together, um, create communion together, practice the lessons that we are receiving in real time. So sending uh, prayers through our hearts and love to each other. Um, in real time, we can sing together and harmonize together. All of that is facilitating our receptivity so that we can receive more deeply the medicines that the, that the, the lessons that the medicine is giving us. Yeah. As a, as a former atheist, after that first session that you had, after that first work you put in, do you have a time frame of where like your head was able to start to wrap around like the shift of your consciousness from what you used to think to what you now understand as a reality? Was it like a light switch and you're like, oh my God, I just get it now. Or was it that time you had to pull over on the freeway? Or was it like five years after you're like, oh, okay, I finally, I'm getting all this stuff. Oh, well, I mean, you know, I'm 12 years in and I still consider myself a novice. So mm. let's be really clear about that. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I have a long way to go. Uh, the rest of my life I'll be learning more and more. So it's not um, a journey that I've completed by any means. Uh, whatever I happen to know in this moment is a sum of everything I've learned, you know, my whole life. And, and the truth is, um, life is, is medicine, you know, and just as the diamond meets you where you are, uh, life meets you where you are and gives you what you're ready for. And, you know, if I'd heard about the diamond five years earlier, would I have said yes? Would I, would I have felt the call? I don't know. Right. You know, how about five days earlier? I don't know. Right. Uh, the answer is, is unclear and it's not really for me to know, but everything I know so far is just an accumulation of everything I've learned since birth or, or, you know, depending on how you look at it, even before that. Right. Um, so I can't say that, uh, that any one thing like told me what I know now. Um, certainly there have been revelatory moments where I kind of made what felt at the time like a quantum leap forward. Right. Uh, what I've learned over time as I've studied um, human psychology and, and the way our brains work is that most quantum leaps are actually a result of lots of incremental progress that just reach a breakthrough. Ah. And one of the one of the metaphors I've heard for that recently that I really liked was if you take an ice cube and you, you put it on a table in a room that's uh, 25 degrees and um, there's the ice cube. It's frozen, stays frozen because it's cold enough to be frozen. Mm -hmm. And then you raise the temperature by one degree. It's 26 degrees. The ice cube's still frozen. 27 degrees, the ice cube's still frozen. 28 degrees, the ice cube's still frozen, right? You get up to 32 degrees, ice cube's still frozen. 32 and a half, ice cube starts to melt. Right. Okay, so was it a quantum leap? You know, mm. uh, was it incremental progress? You can look at it either way, right. right? It's a quantum leap to go from the state of being cold enough to be frozen water and to be melted water. Yeah. But it's also incremental progress to go from 25 degrees to 32 and a half degrees, half a degree at a time, you yeah. know? So uh, I think we all go through our life uh, moving uh, along at half a degree at a time. And every once in a while, we cross a threshold that lets us go from a solid to a liquid or, yeah. you know, however, whatever the transformation is that's going to take us up to that next level. And it feels 
transformative and revelatory and big and it is yeah and so it's both things and both are beautiful that is beautiful i love that analogy too that makes me think i've read a book recently called the art of impossible this guy stephen coulter i think his name and uh it's a it's a book about the flow state and like how Mm -hmm. well we call flow state now we used to call it in the zone you know there's all these different buzzwords for it uh, but for flow state, the, one of the things that he was talking about was this this uh, process. There, there's this kind of like an archetypal price process for flow state. Uh, and one of the things that we all share is this frustration before we get to the flow state. Mm-hmm. And it's this frustration because our brain really wants to understand what we're not, what we're not understanding. It really wants to get it. It wants to put two and two together, but it just can't. But it needs that frustration because it shows you that you care about the thing that you're trying to do. And Mm. then that pushes you over into that next step. And it's kind of like what you were just talking about, these little incremental steps. It's not like you got frustrated just from this moment. It's all this information that you're learning that caused the frustration, that caused that breakthrough that you were like, oh my God, I get it now. Certainly. And I feel like that with my, with my journey, with my own versions of plant medicines, with psilocybin, with, uh, with mainly, mainly psilocybin, Mm -hmm. uh, for the, for the deep work that I do, um, but, you know, it was a lot of my journey was getting my body prepared to take a dosage that I felt would do a lot of work for me or would let me do a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And it took me a while to get to that dosage in a safe way. But every journey that I had in those smaller dosages to get me up there, I had moments of understanding. I had things that, that connected. But... Yeah, and I, I'm so happy you had that analogy because I always put those breakthrough moments as like, oh, that was the journey that broke me through. Mm-hmm. No, there was all these journeys that everything that came up to it, it wasn't even the journey itself. You know, it doesn't even have to be the medicine. It's the right. understanding of where I'm at. The medicine just helped me push over to the next level. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yep. Do you... um have you, so now that you're, you're part of the Daime church, um, have you done a traditional, I guess, traditional, I don't know if that'd be the right word, but a more traditional ceremonial ayahuasca experience, like, uh, like in the shamanic kind of way, or has it always been with the church? I have, I haven't, I haven't sat with anybody who actually came from the rainforest, uh, indigenous folks. I haven't actually sat with any indigenous people, all the indigenous people I've sat with are in within the Santo Daime. Cool. Um, so, you know, they're bringing, uh, their energy, but also within the container of the daimi. Mm. Uh, but I have sat with, uh, with ayahuasca outside of the daimi. Um, and it's a beautiful medicine, you know, it's a beautiful being consciousness, Mm -hmm. you know, you can give it whatever name you want. They're all just metaphors for something that's far greater than our brains are able to understand. Right. And we're going to connect with it however we can. And so, you know, we have our cultural context, we have our, um, all the, all the things that make us who we are that are trying to attach meaning to things, mm-hmm. trying to name things. Um, so we name it whatever we name it. And, uh, and we have preferences about one way or the other. I, I perf- personally prefer the Santo Daimi. Um, it hits me in a way that, that enables me to do more work. I feel safer. I feel more empowered. Mm. I feel um, just held by it in a way that, that allows me to relax and open and surrender and be participatory in the process. There's a, there's a tendency for people, including myself, when you first come to, um, entheogens and psychedelic work, uh, where you really want the medicine to do all the work for you, you know, (laughs) and, and we always talk about like, oh yeah, you just go and receive, you know? And when you first come and you're not, you don't have the skills to, um, be an active participant in that process yet. Mm -hmm. And you do just receive and it's beautiful. 
And, uh, and part of the reason that for me that it was beautiful to go through that process was because I was in uh, a context of a, a container where there were people who were more advanced than me who could hold it and be active participants. Mm. And, and, you know, we often use the metaphor of the boat and that, uh, the people who've been around for a while are rowing the boat and the people who are coming for the first time, the visitors, the new people uh, aren't, you know, and at a certain point you come in your journey. If you keep coming back, eventually you sort of feel a call like, Hey, you know, I should probably sit at one of those oars and, uh, and row the boat. Mm. And what you find is as you progress your skills in navigating the psychedelic experience in, um, in receiving the information and, uh, and creating connections within yourself so that that information actually has a place to land and, and can be integrated into your life and actually affect long-term transformation. Mm -hmm. As you work those skills and you, you build up your capacity, you actually benefit from doing more work, right? If you, and, and what you find is that if you make yourself just sit back and receive and not pull the oar, mm -hmm. but just, you know, lay down in the back and just listen and just receive that you, it's actually, um, less meaningful in the long run okay. than, than participating more fully. Yeah. And that's like a process that for each of us takes however long it takes. There's no judgment. There's no like you should, oh, you've been coming this long. You should do, be doing this or that. It's really all internally driven. Like, well, what's, what, what should I be doing for myself to, to be able to get the maximum benefit from this experience? Yeah. Um, and so at, at the beginning, yeah, you know, you just, you, you show up, you drink the medicine, mm -hmm. you lay down, you listen to the beautiful songs yeah, and that's akin to, um, when you come to an ayahuasca ceremony, that's, you know, outside of the daimi, that's a little bit more traditional. Mm -hmm. Um, everybody's kind of encouraged to, to receive in that way. And, um, I think what's, what's interesting is most of the people that I talk to who work with ayahuasca in that way, um, don't do it very often. And when they do it, it's a big deal. Right. And they show up as a beginner, pretty much ongoing. Okay. Whether, you know, like sort of on purpose. Mm -hmm. And I don't have any judgment out of that. I think that's uh, that's a, a way that it seems to work for a lot of people. And it's like, great. That's wonderful. Yeah. In the daimi, uh, you know, we tend to have works like once or twice a month. And if you're taking ayahuasca once or twice a month, ongoing, and the container is predictable and you're in a community of people that you know, because mm -hmm. it's not just like whoever heard about it comes. It's like, this is our church yeah. and I go, um, it's a dish. It's just a different way to integrate that practice into your life. Mm. Right. And to make spiritual progress along just a different track. Yeah. 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 And I think the community aspect would be super helpful. I mean, one of the things I love about yoga, for example, is uh, the community vibe. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you know, as a yoga teacher, I can go teach at a Gold's Gym, for example, right? And that's great. That it's very similar yoga. I'll teach a movement. I'll teach a breath. But in a yoga community, like in a yoga studio, you have the community, the, the same people coming in and out, and you have that that space that's being held. And it, it almost adds another layer to the practice itself. Like you have the practice, you have the physical practice, you go in, you sweat, whatever it is you're doing. But then afterwards you're back out there in the lobby and you're, you're communing with all the people around you to just gave as much, if not more or less than you on that mat. And you have that broken open opportunity for vulnerability and you just have beautiful conversations. And that's where to me that yoga off the mat is where the deep work really happens. Like you yeah. can sweat and you can <laughs> breathe and that's all great. But like, when you're calmed down and then you're surrounded by your community, like how are you showing up to that community? 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's one of my favorite parts of the work is after the work mm. when we're all done and, and we uh, get a chance to just share food and talk about our experience and uh, talk about our lives and really be a community. Yeah. Very cool. That, that kind of community in our culture is powerful medicine, you know, regardless of what the practice is that, that form the community, having those connections, having safety, uh, and being seen for who you really are not having to pretend and put on your masks, you know, that, that's uh, deep medicine for us yes. as, as North Americans. Yeah. When we can step out of the character that we've been playing and just be the authentic human being that we're maybe not comfortable being, cause we're still figuring it out, but just really embrace that authenticness of ourselves. Yeah, there's, you know, I've, I've got two daughters and I think that was, it wasn't until I had my kids that I really understood the, especially daughters that I understood like the cultural stigmas that are on us, uh, the, the stereotypes, you know, everything that's going on. It's so, it's, it's so ab- oppressive at times. And, uh, and if we can just shed this, uh, help somebody shed the, the just minute amount of light, you know, just a pinprick of light. You know, that's all it takes sometimes. And you see that light, you're like, shit, there's something under there. And you keep scratching away at it. And eventually you'll find how bright that light can be. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that's that, that, um, the, you know, facing our oppression and dealing with our oppression is, uh, something that we just aren't, is not modeled for us. We're not taught to do, uh, we're always taught to be self-reliant. We're taught to be, um, hard on ourselves mm. in order to sort of strengthen and purify ourselves so that we're the best super people we can be. <laughs> right. yeah. And, um, you know, that, that, that just doesn't work. It's shown time and again that it doesn't work. And, um, you know, you and I were, I, I don't know how old you are, but I'm 49. I'm, I'm ripe in the, uh, midlife crisis zone. Right. You know, I just quit my job in the software industry that I had for 22 years. Not the same job, but certainly the same career. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we all reach this point in our lives, we call it a midlife crisis, it's such a cliche, but that, that point where we just cannot do it anymore. And what is it that we cannot do? We just cannot live inauthentically mm-hmm. anymore. And we can't live with that oppression, uh, and, and with us giving into the oppression and, and going along with the messaging when it's out of alignment with who we really are. Right. And in our culture, uh, that oppression and the messaging we get from childhood to adulthood to onward uh, is out of alignment with nearly everyone. And so it doesn't, it isn't always so out of alignment that you reach a crisis, but for many people it is. Right. And uh, we stigmatize that crisis. We always stigmatize any crisis. Um, but the truth is like reaching the breaking point where you are no longer able to... Um, to be inauthentic and be out of alignment like that. It's the same thing we were talking about earlier. You make incremental progress towards that. As you go through your life, you Mm -hmm. learn what you like and what you don't like, who you are and who you are not. And eventually you reach a point where who you are and who you know yourself to be can't be with the life that you've built. Right. According to these rules that have been pushed onto you Mm -hmm. by our culture. Yeah. And so you break. Yeah. And, uh, that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, it's a beautiful opportunity. And, um, the, the, the medicine, the, the, the light that the medicine brings, um, for me personally, and for what I've witnessed with others as well, is just helping us see our true selves, helping us see where we're out of alignment Mm -hmm. and to some degree what we need to do about it. But really just knowing that you're out of alignment, uh, and getting in touch with 
authenticity, you already knew. Right. You already knew what you were supposed to be doing. You just weren't doing it. Yep. You just weren't listening. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had my own version of a midlife crisis, I guess. I'm, I'm 42. I had mine, um, 35, I think mm-hmm. 35, 36, somewhere in there. And, uh, I'd been in restaurants, uh, restaurant management for p- close to 15 years. And, uh, and you know, by all, you know, paper concerns, I was successful, you know, I, you know, I had money, I had, you know, uh, uh, status in the company and all that fun stuff, but I was the most miserable person I've ever been. And I didn't realize how miserable I was until I started practicing yoga, which was about five years before then. And so that was in, you know, I, I guess similar, uh, similar upbringing to yourself. Like I was a very proud, uh, atheist, didn't care, didn't want to care, didn't even want to think about it. I don't fucking care. Right. Leave that conversation out of away from me. And, uh, and then I started taking yoga and you know, that I went there for the physical practice and the spirituality kind of like snuck its way in. And then finally around like 35, I just, I had that, that breaking point to where I couldn't do this anymore. I can't show up. I can't, my job was basically to responsibly get you as drunk as I could to get your guest check as high as I could and then quote unquote safely put you back on the road. And after time and time again, like I just, I just didn't sit right with me and the, you know, the restaurant environment, um, uh, is, is it's, it does a lot of good. Don't get me wrong. It's a great, great environment, but it's also very stereotypical, very sexist at times, very racist at times. And just being a part of that culture, it, I, I couldn't, I couldn't anymore. And I had my breaking point. I either, I either dive into restaurants and make that my career and just turn my back on everything I was thinking, or I pull the plug on my entire life and change gears. And that was what I chose. Just pull the plug and change gears. And it was fucking hard and it sucked. It was, you know, I I lost a lot of the comforts that I thought I needed. Um, and, but what was hard for me and what I thought sucked ended up being the most beautiful things ever because I realized that I didn't need the the income that I thought I needed. I could live much more com- comfortably or much more conservatively. I didn't need all the accolades that I was getting. I could just live within myself and like work on myself. And it was it was such a beautiful thing. So those those moments where those crises happen, they suck when they do, right? Because it seems like your whole world is exploding. But the aftermath of that is such a beautiful experience. Yeah, anything that brings you into alignment and uh, into more authenticity, it's it's super uncomfortable, you know, because we are. It's so contrary to what we are told that we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the end, of course, it's like the biggest relief <laughs> to feel the that release and that that um, the the pressure off. Yeah, yeah. There's a guy named Charles Eisenstein. Does that name ring a bell for you? Yeah, it sounds familiar. He's an author. He's uh, been writing a, a lot of uh, spiritual texts for a little mm-hmm. while now, and just a really deep thinker. And he wrote a short story not too long ago where he talks about um, a civilization and another world about a million years past where we're at um, that has uh, an understanding of how bad Earth is right now and how the the peril that we're in. And so they're going to send shamans from their world into our world to help us out. But the shamans, when they make this time travel, they lose consciousness of what they were and who they were. They just come to this, this earth with this understanding of this isn't right. I don't know why it's not right, but just isn't right. And the short story is basically us finding the community of all the other shamans that were sent here from that world to awaken us all together. And then through that awakening, then we start to, you know, understand what's going on in this world and and make that shift, you Hmm. know, beautiful, beautiful story. And a lot of it resonates because like, as, as I have had my own personal awakenings, 
in, in the people that present themselves in front of me, like yourself, you know, like when, when we met a couple of years back and all these people that have just like stumbled, I guess, you know, happenstancely on, on our path, there's no happenstance with that. There was a very exact reason why I met you when I did. And there's a very exact, exact reason why I started plant medicines when I did, you know, it's, it's, it's all this process of this book that we're reading that we don't even understand we're reading yet. You know, we're living this beautiful message. It's true. If we can just get in for me, if I could just, if once I found out how to get out of my own way and, and not just blindly trust, but just feel the pull of, of where my heart really wants to go and not have my ego be like, no, you don't want that. No, no, no. Go sit in the, go sit in your couch for a little while. You don't need to go out there and, and do work. Right. It's this, it, everything just started making a little bit more sense to me. Yeah. 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 It's interesting listening to you describe that story. Uh, you know, in, in a sense it's beautiful. And in, in another sense, I feel like it, um, maybe like I, this is just my interpretation based on where I'm at with my life and what I'm working with. You know, I feel like it's really important for me to, uh, own the parts of myself that have created the world that we are in, mm. you know, and, and for me to look at someone like Putin or, um, you know, anybody who's, who's promoting war, violence, oppression, and to recognize that I also have promoted war, violence, and oppression in my thoughts and in my actions. Mm. And, um, you know, I've hated and I'm, I, I hate today. Right. You yeah. Know? And, uh, so I, I, I'm no space traveler that came from an advanced civilization and is like, you know, transcended all this stuff. I, I own it. And, it, and as long as I continue to, um, enact those things within my thoughts and within my, my being, uh, I'm just as responsible as anyone else for this world. Mm. And so, uh, I think it's, there's, there's a danger within the psychedelic community, uh, both of this sort of desire for transcendence. Uh, one of my big teachers, um, makes it really clear that in the path of the daimi is the path of transformation. It's not the path of transcendence. Mm. We're not trying to leave the earth. We're not trying to leave our humanity. We're trying to live as good humans and, um, a a good human, uh, knows themselves. And, uh, to, to, to really like shine the light in all your dark corners and, and to really own, yeah, I, I have thoughts of hate and how is that any different than, than what's going on over there? You know, who I'm saying is bad people, you know, oh, that's a bad person because they're enacting things that I only think about. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, it's better not to act those things out, I I suppose. Uh, but as long as people are thinking them. Uh, and, and, and in, in the action of my thinking them, I am putting them out into the field. And if somebody else is receiving that and they receive enough of that, that they will then turn around and act on that. Um, I contributed to that. And so, uh, we just have to be really careful about how we think about the work that we do in the medicine space and in our life in general, whether you're taking medicine or doing yoga or, or anything else, you're, you're on a path of transformation. That's beautiful. Um, but, but maybe think of the transformation in terms of literally transforming you into a, a better human rather than transcending into some like divine astral being that doesn't, it leaves all this behind. Cause we don't get to do that. Right. We still get to live here and our children have to live here mm-hmm. and their children are going to have to live here too. Yeah. And so, uh, and, and, and the truth is you're not going to turn into some divine astral being, uh, while you're still having thoughts of hatred and, and thoughts of violence and, and thoughts of resentment and mm-hmm. thoughts of judgment. And, um, and so, you know, we're not here to, we're not here as a, as a place to leave from. We're here as a place to stay. And, um, yeah. and that's a really important distinction for me to make because so many people do come into the psychedelic space. They receive all of this 
divine transmission and they feel uh, an uplift and they feel uh, as if the veils have been parted and uh, and sometimes they take that in a direction that really isn't optimal for long-term transformation it's actually um, just taking them to that pink cloud of, of bypass and uh, of just pretending that we can all just kind of say ohm and then like everything will be fine right no I agree 100% man there's a there's a big misconception with that transcendence. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I was there with it when I, when I first started my psychedelic journey, I was like, cool. All right, we're going to transcend. I'm going to go, I'm done with this earth place. I'm going to go live somewhere else. But I think, you know, part of the transcendence idea is acceptance, Mm -hmm. you know, acceptance that this is our work to do. Like we have to transcend the thought of transcendence and be here. Right. (laughs) Uh, one of my favorite things, uh, I I love listening to Ram Dass talks, the old (laughs) talks. And, uh, one of the things that he was saying, um, he was, uh, you know, still experimenting a lot with LSD back in those days. I think it was mid sixties and he was sitting with one of his, uh, gurus and just lamenting about earth and life. And he's like, this sucks. I don't like earth life. This is bullshit. And, uh, his guru was like, well, you're, you're on earth, right? It's like, yeah. Okay. So why don't you learn the curriculum? Right. You're here for a reason. Learn what, learn what it's like to be a human. Yeah. Like I love, I, I, I personally appreciate the idea of, of reincarnation mm-hmm. and uh, reincarnation as, as humans over time, reincarnations of other beings in different timelines. Like I love that concept. And so with that in mind, how many times have I been a human? I don't know. This might be the only time I've been a human. I might've been uh, what I would consider an alien or a different life form in other, in other lives. So I'm here for a reason. And again, in that reincarnation idea, I chose to be here. I chose Adam to be in this part of the world, in this timeline, learning this human humanness. So why am I trying to skirt that? Adam, Adam in another life or Zorg or whatever the hell I was called, knew that I needed this part of uh, part of life to to round me out in whatever yeah. being as I am. So stop trying to skirt it and just be here in the moment. Beautiful. But it took me a minute to get there. It yeah. took me a minute to get there. Yeah, it's really tempting yeah. to, to, to want to escape. Mm-hmm. You know, and it makes a lot of sense because there's so much misery and oppression. And yeah. why wouldn't you want to escape? Mm-hmm. You know, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I don't have any judge. I, I went through the same thing when I first started taking Daimi. And, you know, I was like, yeah, man, I'm going to turn into an angel and fly away. You know, great. Right. Yep. Um, it's almost like that Nirvana concept. You know, it's yeah. like taking the medicine of some sort will let you see what Nirvana could be. Mm-hmm. But in the, in the idea of Buddha, right? Buddha saw Nirvana chose to come back because he knew he had work to do. Yeah. So medicines can give us a glimpse of what that Nirvana is. And then the falsity of you choosing to stay there. That's probably the, uh, not, not a side effect or maybe a, um, What's the word I want to say? Maybe a loophole in the medicine, right? If you want, yes, you can just live in that space where you think is nirvana, where you think that you've reached, but that's not really the work. That's that's another veil that you're just hiding behind. That's right. Because you're choosing and truth, to come back. If you, tru- if you choose that nirvana, then you're showing that you're actually not ready for it. Exactly. Right? Because you're abandoning your brothers and sisters. You're yeah. abandoning the, the earth. And, and yeah, it's pretty deep stuff. And mm. um, I think like ultimately... You know, for me personally, all of the the transmissions information that I get from medicine work, um, like the point of it isn't to have an experience in the medicine, right? right? The point of it isn't to go on a roller coaster ride and then you get to the end of the ride and you're like, that was great. Okay, back to life. The the point of it is to get information that's going to help you um, actually transform your life, like actually change who you are. Mm -hmm. And what does that really mean? I've been doing a lot of work and study on that lately is like, 
often as humans, what we think of when we want to change is we want to change our behaviors. You know, we want to change how we act in the world. Mm. And that's kind of like the leaf of the tree. And then like, where do our behaviors come from? They, well, they, they come from our thoughts, right? And they're driven by our thoughts, um, both conscious and unconscious. And those are kind of like the branches of the tree. And then like, where do our thoughts come from? Like, why do we think the thoughts that we think? Well, that's because of our identity. Mm. And our identity is kind of the core of the trunk of the tree. And if you try to change your behaviors without changing your thoughts or your identity, good luck, right? You say, right. oh, I'm going to do yoga every day, you know, and then you do it for a week and then you stop doing it. Right. And why? You know, you undermined yourself somehow. You, you decided that your identity is not in alignment with that. And so uh, it doesn't support that activity. Mm -hmm. And so it's really hard to change your behaviors without changing your identity. And I've been doing a lot of reading about that. Mm. And so when, uh, when you take a psychedelic medicine, when you take an entheogen, um, what it allows you to do is feel what it would feel like to think different thoughts, right? It allows you to get out of your normal paths, out of your normal ruts of the way that you think and to ha have different thoughts. And that can inspire you to say, hey, if I can think differently, then I can also behave differently. Right. But it's temporary, right? And then the medicine wears off. And then all those new pathways, they, they don't last because pathways are worn over time in your mind. And taking ayahuasca for six hours in a night uh, isn't very long right. compared to how long every day that you spend in your little hamster wheels and your neurotic <laughs> loops, building your pathways for your thoughts that are the same every single time. Right. And so we got to go deep. We got to go deep into our identity and change the way we actually know ourselves to be right? And, and like heal the wounds in our identity, mm. then our thoughts will naturally change from a different identity. Then our behaviors will naturally change from those different thoughts. Yeah. And so for me, when I'm helping people integrate their psychedelic experience, when I'm having one of my own, I'm a lot less focused on, oh, like what's, uh, what am I learning right now? That's going to change my life. It's more about how does it feel to be me right now? And how is that different than it normally feels to be me? Mm. And what can I do to feel this way all the time? And, um, and when I get up every morning and I, I do my prayers and my meditation, um, a lot of the work that I do is who, who do I want to be? And what would I need to, what would have to change in me for me to be that? Mm. What new thoughts would I have to think? What new, uh, emotions would I have to feel in, in various situations? Um, it's not really about what new behaviors am I going to do? Right. Well, if I want to be a better person, I better go for a run today. You know, that, that's really pretty self-harming actually. Hmm. Um, if I want to, want to go for a run every day, maybe I should think of myself as a runner, hmm. you know? And if I think of myself as a runner every day, well, what do runners do? Right. You know, they get up every day and they go for a run. So it's really, um, interesting to see everybody's process as they come through, uh, the psychedelic world, yeah. you know, which is just exploding in our world. Right. And it's it really obviously is. just such a powerful medicine, powerful technology, uh, for transformation. And we're really novices mm -hmm. in how we use it. And myself included, you know, all the things that I'm telling you today are just what I know today. Right. And I didn't know them yesterday and tomorrow I'll probably know something different. Yep. So it's really, um, a, a beautiful process to get to like, just have these theories and work with them and, and see how they go and, and then make adjustments as needed and see what works and what doesn't. Yeah. And always, always, you know, two steps forward, one step back and, um, making that incremental progress mm -hmm. so that every once in a while you've earned yourself a breakthrough yeah. and then you can, you can really just enjoy it. Yeah, definitely.
You know, and, and it's funny, the, the process of you just describing your, your thought process, it, you know, it's, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of what scared me in the beginning about uh, spiritual work was, and I didn't realize until I started my work, but there's so much energy expelled when you're conscious, like consciousness is not an easy thing because you're constantly thinking about everything. And our brain is programmed to be a pattern making machine to save energy. It says, okay, that's a white wall. I know that is a white wall. It's always going to be a white wall, right? So we, we see that we look over to white wall. Now I look over it's like, oh, that's kind of eggshell and there's texture to it. And oh, there's like the baseboards, maybe a slightly different color. And it's like, cause you're consciously looking at this. Yeah. You're not just saying that's a white wall. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there's all this layers of process that comes into that consciousness that in the beginning, we don't realize how exhausting it is, but it's an exhausting process because it you're is. really understanding and, and, and really like interpreting everything around you that, uh, you know, in, uh, in the yoga community, uh, one of the things that really frustrated me in the beginning was, uh, the flippantness of just trust the universe. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, how are you going to pay your bills next month? I, you know, I don't, I'm not working right now. I'm just going to trust the universe. Um. Okay. Got it. I trust the universe too. I trust that I'm, I'm being guided and I trust, but there's still work we got to do. We still have to put one foot in front of the other. We still have to learn the processes. We still have to put the effort forth. We can't just sit back on our couch, watch Netflix and say, the universe is going to provide you can, and yeah. maybe in your way it does. But like for me, that that's just not the way that lands. Yeah. And in the Christian church, right. They say God helps those who help themselves. Right. Right. It's the same concept. Um, Absolutely. We, we have to be working all the time yeah. and it is exhausting and, it, and it's demoralizing when you work really hard and then mm. you don't see the change that you wanted to see. Uh, and, and that can lead you to stop doing the work um, and stop making that incremental progress that right. is actually uh, helping, but you just can't see the result yet. Um, so then that's where faith comes in mm. and, um, and mentorship and support and community, right? Where people can reflect, Hey, you know what? You may not feel it, but I see a change in you. Mm. Oh, you know, like you, you're different than you used to be, you know? Yeah. Um, I am. I don't, I don't feel different. Well, every day you change a little bit. So of course you don't feel different. Right. You know, uh, but you are, and mm -hmm. the work is working and, uh, you got to keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So did that, uh, did that kind of idea and that concept transition into men's work for you with, uh, with plant medicines or with the medicines? You know, it's interesting. Men's work came into my life not too long after the dime he did. And from a totally unrelated source, uh, I got connected with a group um, that was started by a man who's now my friend mm -hmm. um, that was kind of uh, grew out of, a, of an integration group that came from the Mankind Project, which is oh. sort of a national or mm -hmm. international organization of men's work. Very familiar with them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we worked with a lot of the same, we worked with the same archetypes that the Mankind Project works within their eye groups okay. and uh, it was structured similarly, but it wasn't affiliated officially with the MKP. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was with that group for years. Uh, I was in the Daimi at the same time. I was also raising a child. Um, I had a lot, a lot of work to do as a man yeah. and it resonated with me uh, in a really profound way. Um, Again, finding community in a world where men are told that they're supposed to be by themselves. They're told to be self-sufficient, the Marlboro man, you know, mm -hmm. stand out there in the, on the plains by yourself and just be the ownership of, owner of all you see. Mm -hmm. uh, and 
I knew it wasn't like that. My life was full of shame and, and addiction. I was never, fortunately, I was, I was blessed never to have substance addiction, but, um, you know, everybody's got addiction, right? Right. Yeah. And we have video games, it's your phone, it's TV, it's whatever. Mm -hmm. Addictive thought patterns, you know, just thinking about the same thing over and over again and not being able to change it. Right. Um, the men's group just really helped me know myself better. And somewhere along the line, I started to realize like, hey, you know, this men's group is amazing. The, the dime is also amazing. The two are both in my life, both affecting transform transformational change. And uh, what would it be like if, if you combine the two? Mm -hmm. And uh, it was intimidating and scary. I wasn't a leader in the dime and I wasn't a leader in my men's group either. Uh, but the idea sort of took root and started to grow. And it took probably... I don't know, six or seven years for it to really percolate through my system and okay. all the pieces to fall into place, you know, and I, I'm now the leader of a small dummy church myself. That helps my confidence. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I've, I've led men's work. Um, also that helps my confidence. I'm a dad that helps my confidence. Yeah. So one thing, another, and, uh, just this last summer, I finally put together a men's group that, um, used medicines and process circles uh, to do men's work with medicine. Wow. And, uh, yeah, we started in September. We're just wrapping up. It was a six month, supposed to be a six month deal. It went a little long cause of COVID and whatnot. Okay. But, um, yeah, each month we did a different medicine. We did a, a, a sweat in the Lakota tradition. Ooh, yeah. Uh, we did a, a day of Wim Hof study. Okay. Uh, we did combo, we did mushrooms, MDMA and finish off with the dime. Wow. And, uh, each month we would do a work like that, a medicine work. A couple of days later, we do an integration meeting where we uh, went through a process to help us, uh, integrate the experience that we had. Mm -hmm. A couple of weeks after that, we would do a, a process circle where we'd sit and do, do rounds of work. Wow. And it exceeded any hope or expectation that I might've had. It was yeah. an absolutely, um, profound experience to be involved with. Uh, all the men in the group are like, um, transformed by the experience right? and, uh, we have a community and we have each other and, um, the next one starts in July. I can't wait. It's, I'm excited too. Yeah. I remember you telling me about this on the phone. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing in July, but I'm going to try to find a way to make it there, man. Yeah. It's, it is, um, an amazing way to do that kind of work. Yeah. My experience with the medicine is that it, it gives you a relief from your normal thought patterns. It gives you a chance to see what it would be like to think differently. Mm. And then even after the medicine's over and your thought patterns try to return to their old tracks, you have a window, you have an opportunity to integrate that experience and say, hey, wait a second. Mm. It's possible for me to think differently. What do I need to do to like promote that change? Right. What do I need to do to make space in my everyday life to actually think differently? How am I going to change my identity so that those are my thoughts instead mm. of these. Yeah. And um, having that experience with the medicine and then getting to have process work with a, a group of men uh, gives you a chance to do that, to lock in the change a little bit better. Right. And a lot of people, you know, most of the people who came to the group had never done men's work before. And there were a lot of questions about, well, why, why men's work? Why, why, why men's work? You know, mm -hmm. we're all just people, right? And we're trying to get away from patriarchy. And we're trying to get away from oppression and we're trying to get away from, um, otherness and mm -hmm. all of those things. And I think that's all true. Yeah. Uh, and the truth is that, uh, men face a lot of oppression in our world. And when you're working with oppression, 
often the most effective way to do that is with something called an affinity group. And uh, affinity group is just means a group of people who all share something in common. Mm. And that, 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 and that commonality provides safety. Yeah. It provides shared understanding so that you can air out your shame. You can air out your guilt. You can say, Hey, you know, I do this in my life. Uh, I look at porn. I, um, whatever, yeah. you know, I use alcohol, mm-hmm. whatever my addictions are, uh, how I treat women. This is what I do. And there's not any women here to make me feel extra helpings of shame, right. right? To make me afraid to even admit that this is what I'm doing. It's just a group of men who I trust that yeah. I can say these things to. Mm-hmm. Saying that out loud, not being punished for it, being loved despite who you are, because of who you are, right. uh, is a massively transformational experience for most people. Right. And so again, you combine that with the medicine work, combine that with the, the process work that we do, and um, you're looking at liberation. Yeah. And that's ultimately like what we're all after. And if it takes getting together in a group of men to, in order to create liberation for those men so that they can go out into the world and be less oppressive, be more supportive for people who are not men, mm-hmm. um, who wouldn't want that? Right. You know, it's, uh, I've, I've actually, so I've been a part of a few men's groups myself and I've, I've never heard it explained that way. The, the, the container of safety without the, the, uh, the fear of like an opposite sex, like not understanding where just that thought might come from. You know, it reminds me of a dumb movie back in the day, old school, Will, Will Ferrell and, uh, and his wife were going through some marital stuff and they go to couples counseling and, and Will Ferrell's talking about the, the, uh, the waitress at the Olive Garden. Just like, well, I, she smelled nice. And I was like, then I started thinking about her underwear. Was she wearing underwear? Maybe it's edible underwear. And wife gets upset. And the, the psychiatrist helping them was a female as well. And so they both basically attacked Will. And he's like, well, I thought this was a safe place. This is my, just sharing my thoughts. And that's, that's, I mean, it's common comedic as that is that, that, that is so true to be able to freely share these random thoughts that we have without feeling like we're going to be judged for them. Because it's not like the thought was acted on. I want to explore this thought, you know, and where it came from. That's why I'm sharing it. And so to have that the safety to be vulnerable enough to share that thought is a big step in the understanding of how to change where that thought came from or understand where like that, where that seed was planted, you know? That's right. And, um, you know, because there's, there's things that I've, that I've shared in, in the men's groups that I would never even, not that I wouldn't feel comfortable sharing with my girlfriend, Monica, but I wouldn't even think about seeking her advice or her help on this subject because of the intimacy that I hold it with, you know, and, and, and until I started working with men's groups, I didn't realize I held stuff like that. Like you'd mentioned porn earlier. Like I grew up, I was a kid of the nineties, man. Internet. Holy shit. I can see anything I want. LimeWire took two days to download, but Hey, I'm going to see some digital boobs. Right. And I got addicted to that shit for a long time, you know, and it wasn't until I uh, was able to talk to with now a dear friend of mine um, about that, that I realized other men experienced that too. I thought I was just this weird guy that liked looking at porn on the internet all by myself and and come to find out it's pretty common by guys, you know? And, uh, and so, you know, just, just finding that and it's not like it gave me an excuse, but it just gave me a sense of relief of like, okay, I'm not alone. I've got community out here. I've got people that can support me and that. So, I agree that gender specific work or the affinity group, like you said, is, is very important, but it doesn't mean that 
that mixed genders can't group together and find healing, right? Your church is doing that, right? Of course. Yeah. And I mean, you, you know, any group that sticks together long enough forms affinity, right? Whatever their personal identities are, it's not about, um, exclusion. It's not about, uh, othering. It's Mm -hmm. really just about like, how can we create safety, uh, in a hurry really, because we got work to do do. and we don't always have a community that we feel safe to do that work in. So how are we going to create that in an arbitrary amount of time so that we can get some work done and not have to make some commitment and, and build it each time with all of the pitfalls, um, that are involved when you have, uh, people, um, in diverse, diverse identities that, uh, traditionally have oppressed each other and have been either been oppressors or oppressed. And, um, so just liberating the group from some of those dynamics is a shortcut to creating that safety. Right. It doesn't mean you just want to live that way. Right. You know, it means you want to create that safety so you can heal and then you can take that back to the communities with the dynamics of oppression and you can start to heal them. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. So I want to uh, switch gears a little bit from plant medicines and, and, and talk about combo. Mm. Um, and uh, so combo is, uh, from my understanding, it's a, it's a, it's a medicine secreted by frogs. That's right. Okay. Yep. Um, and, uh, and it's not a, not necessarily hallucinogenic. It's more of a purging medicine. Yeah, you know, um, it's a big topic, but uh, I'm going to tell you my understanding okay. of um, the, the the medicine culture in general in the Amazon. Okay. And I'm going to put a big caveat on this. I'm a white North American man, uh, cisgendered, heterosexual, like, you know, vanilla guy from up here, <laughs> right? And everything that I know I've learned later in life, I didn't grow up with this stuff. Um, I haven't gone on some, uh, you know, multi-year training pilgrimage to the Amazon or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a student. I study hard. I like to learn. Um, I like to pay attention. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I know some things. I think I know some things. I have some opinions. Sometimes those all get wrapped up. And when I'm talking, it sounds like I'm telling you the truth. Gotcha. This isn't the truth. This is my truth there right now. Go. Appreciate that. My understanding is that in the Amazon, um, the the prevailing sort of uh, conceptualization of medicine is that all unhealth has to do with imbalances of energy, okay. which is not dissimilar to, for example, Chinese medicine, mm-hmm. right? In Chinese medicine, they might address that with acupuncture, with herbal treatments. They have a, a technology system for addressing that. Right. In North America, in Europe, uh, what we call the Western cultures, uh, which is a misnomer, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, we have our own medical technology. Uh, It's really well suited to treating certain things. And it has gone all over the world to help people treat Mm -hmm. certain things. And other things, namely mental health, um, it's not so good at. We're trying. And there are people who are very good. um, And the conceptualization model breaks down. In, In the Amazon, the conception of unhealth is always related to energetic um, disturbance and imbalance mm-hmm. and energy can be blocked. It can be obstructed. It can be pooling. It can be uh, accumulating in places where it shouldn't. Uh, there's good energy and bad energy. Um, all of us are conduits for all the energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's not about like, Oh, we got to keep the bad energy out. It's that we got to keep the bad energy flowing so it doesn't accumulate. Right. Yeah. One thing happens or another, and we end up with accumulations of negative energy or imbalances. And, so the entire medical conceptualization is how do we uh, restore balance? And so all of the medical technology that's used 
is towards that end. Hmm. So combo, ayahuasca, sananga, hape, a million things that I've never heard of and don't know the names of. Right. Uh, it's all working with getting that energy flowing again and getting you back into harmony and balance with yourself and with your environment and with your community. Hmm. So that unhealth can manifest as uh, you know, physical sickness. Uh, it can manifest as bad luck. You can mm-hmm. go out on your hunt and not get anything, be hungry. It can be trouble in relationships. Uh, it can be misuse of your resources. Um, all of these things that we, in our culture, would look at as very different Right? And, and, with, and having very different approaches to how we're going to fix them. Right. In the Amazon, it's not quite, so, it's not quite the same. Uh, what they're going to say is, oh, like that manifestation means a, a, a energy accumulation in this part of your system. So how are we going to address that? The, the doctor or healer or shaman might take some ayahuasca themselves to help with their intuition to help understand where, how to address the problem. Mm-hmm. They're going to give you a prescription right? It might be, uh, to, um, eat different food. It might be to change your sleep pattern. It might be to, um, take ayahuasca. It might be to take combo. Hmm. And, uh, so yeah, our experience of it as who we are in our, in our world, you and me, um, is that when you take ayahuasca, you're working with your consciousness and you're traveling to the astral and you're, you're receiving healing on certain wavelengths. And, uh, it's a visionary experience. It's, um, it is what it is. Right. When you take combo, you puke your guts out, you go to the bathroom. Uh, you know, it's a very different experience. It feels a lot more physical. Right. Okay. In the end, they're both harmonizing your energy Mm. and removing obstructions and creating better flow. Okay. They feel really different. Right. Yeah. They're actually really close allies. A lot of the the same peoples who use one use the other. Mm-hmm. And okay. so um, they're used together. Uh, not literally like at the same time, but, yeah. you know, in the same system. Okay. And with, with combo, that's a, um, it's, so I've, again, I've never done combo. It's, it's something that, I mean, we've talked about it, um, uh, but something that's been brought up into my attention, but now I haven't taken the journey yet, but um, and that's generally like burning gates into your body in some kind of way, creating a, an opening for the yeah. vessel. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so from the people that I've talked to, the research I've done, the, the, what they burn into you are called gates. Mm-hmm. What determines how many gates somebody gets? Cause I know some people are like, get, you know, I've, I've seen, you know, somebody with one gate scar or in a sense, I've seen somebody with like nine gate scars. I'm like, Oh wow, that was intense. So what, what's, is that like from the practitioner or the, the, the provider of the medicine that kind of gauges where that practitioner is at? Yeah. I mean, you know, I work with my clients, uh, on many levels. So, so there's my intuitions involved, Mm -hmm. their intuition is involved. Uh, also their personal history and their personal health journey is involved. Um, if someone is older, uh, they're probably going to need a little bit less. It's going to be a little, it's, it's like kind of can be stressful on your system. Okay. And so for someone who's a little bit more frail or, or just a little bit more fragile, uh, we don't want to put more stress on the system. So we might give less. Hmm. Also, some people are just more sensitive than others. Right. And that's something that you're going to know a lot better than I am. If you come to me for treatment and I say, Hey, like when you take medicine, like, does it hit you hard? You know, it's as simple as that, right? right. Like how many drinks does it take to get you drunk? Like stuff like that mm-hmm. is, you know, uh, indicative of how sensitive your system is. Excuse me. And um, that sensitivity 
you know, is a whole study in and of itself. Why are people sensitive? Mm. What is it? What does it really mean to be sensitive? Right. Yeah. Right. It's like, well, it, it, in my opinion, it means that you know it has to do with how your brain sets up filters to keep information sorted from what's relevant and what's not. Uh, it has to do with how um, fine tuned your instruments are to be able to just literally fe- feel sensation uh, on a physical level. Mm-hmm. There's so much to it. Um, and so, and I have my sensitivity that I'm cultivating. In my opinion, uh, cultivating sensitivity is a way to get in touch with my spiritual guides. It's a way to get in touch with my intuition. Mm. Um, and so I'm, I'm doing my best to cultivate sensitivity, yeah. which means over time I might actually take less medicine than I used to. And that's certainly the case with the daimi. Mm, okay. Uh, also, if you've taken combo recently, then you're going to need more. Because um, your body can build up, I don't like to say resistance or, or anything, but um, your body can get a little bit used to it. Okay. And then you just need a little bit more to push you up to the threshold. Okay. Yeah. How often would you recommend some, is there like a, a, a frequency of that? Is it all, that just depends on the person also. It's really also up to their intuition. I never okay. prescribe anything. I always leave it up to people. I can say, I like to take it two or three or four times a year, probably, probably three or four times a year. Okay. Um, some people like to take it with the change of the seasons. Some people like to take it with the full moon every month. Mm, Uh, there's a, there's a, a notion of taking it three times within one moon cycle, uh, as a way to kind of do an intensive treatment. Um, ultimately like that's really an intuitive thing that I mostly just let the client decide for themselves. If somebody has a very acute medical condition that they're trying to address with combo, Mm. which, um, would largely be, uh, things like, um, uh, GI tract problems. Uh, I have treated someone with Lyme disease before. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, there are certain cases where I'll say, Hey, you know, it might actually really help us bang this thing out if we do three treatments in a week, mm. you know, um, that's heavy that's duty. Intense, yeah. I, I don't do that very often. <laughs> uh, and it's pretty intense. Um, the truth is everyone, uh, combo is a lot more intense for people who've never taken it. Once you take it, you recognize that yes, it is a physically intense experience and it's not anything you can't handle. It's not something to be afraid of. It's not, um, painful even mm. it's uncomfortable. Right. But there's a big difference between painful and uncomfortable. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we can handle a lot of discomfort as humans. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, when, uh, the, the, there's a gentleman that introduced, um, Sananga and Hoppe to me a couple mm-hmm. of years back. And, uh, when we were talking about, um, his experiences with them, that was one of the things he said is that as human beings, we're, we've gotten, we've gotten away from being able to deal with sensations. Yeah. Good sensations, bad sensations, just intense sensations. We don't know how to deal with them. We want them to go away. That's right. Right. And we're in this world now where instant gratification. I take a pill, the thing happens, I'm good to go. Don't care about the side effects. You know, a lot of it's all psychosomatic anyways, right? Take t- I'm a little cold, I just turn up the heat. Right. You right. know, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's 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 that you know, when you put Sananga in your eyes, it burns like you've never burned before. And then the the, the idea that you've chosen to do this on top of that, you know. But if you rub your eyes, it's going to make it worse. So sitting with that sensation, sitting on your hands and letting your eyes purge and just cry, let those tear ducts get all that shit out. You know, it's such a beautiful experience, but we got to sit with it. Like the first time somebody uh, blew uh, Hoppe in my face. Oh my God, I wanted to punch him in the head. Like that, what did you just do to me? I chose to do it, but you did it to me, you know? And then the other nostril, I got to get the other nostril. Like, oh Jesus Christ. You know, that was such a, a burning, like, 
it, it felt like chlorine was just shoved in my face. You know, I took a, a nose dive off the deep end, you know, yeah. but you know, it's, it's, you sit with that sensation and that just that idea of sitting with sensation has helped me immensely, yeah. you know, from my meditation to dealing with somebody that's yelling at me, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sitting with that sensation and not trying to think about how I'm going to yell at them back, right. you know, just letting them, letting them vent, letting them have their emotional purge yeah. and me not try to take it personally and let it just hold that space for them. Yep. Man. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Combos the same way. You know, you go through uh, some serious physical ordeal, mm. uh, but none of it's pain. It's really mostly uh, discomfort. For some people, there's some pain. I mean, I'm not going to lie. There's yeah. For some people, there's some pain with uh, digestive system and um, it is what it is. But uh, yeah, combo is a beautiful, beautiful medicine. Mm. Um, I could talk for a long time about how combo works and, and what it does from a sort of chemical, biological standpoint okay. um, there's there is uh, some science that's you know quote western uh, understanding of how it works yeah um and the truth is they've tried to isolate some of the compounds the drug companies have worked to try to make it into a pill or whatever right and uh it just doesn't hasn't worked yeah and there's a magic to uh, the way that that substance is composed uh what's really interesting is that the frogs that produce it uh, are these tree frogs they live um in, mostly in the canopy of the of the rainforest, okay. pretty far away from the water, which is down below, and they're frogs. So they coat themselves in this waxy substance partially to retain moisture and hydrate themselves mm-hmm. and partly as a deterrent from being eaten. Okay. And it's highly effective. Nothing eats them yeah. because if you try to eat them, you have a really uncomfortable experience. And so as a result, they're incredibly docile. Uh, you can just walk right up to them and grab them off the tree and they're just like, Hey, what's up? Oh, wow. And, uh, and then you like tie their hands and legs out on these stakes to kind of splay them out so that you can scrape the stuff off of their skin. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Hey, cool. Like what? I don't really know what's going on, but that's cool. Okay. And, uh, and if you treat them well with respect you can do all that and it doesn't harm them at all. Oh, it's beautiful. Okay. And, uh, and then you put them back and, um, and, they're also easy to cultivate in captivity. You can raise them in captivity very uh, successfully, okay. uh, high success rate, high survival rate. Right, um, feed them, you know, mealworms or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, keep them in a glass tank. They look super healthy. They are super healthy. And if you scrape the stuff off of their skin, it doesn't have any of the active compounds of combo. Interesting. So wow. there's something not only about the frog themselves, but about the entire environment that they live yeah. in. That all coalesces into this substance that uh, is incredibly healing, incredibly powerful, and incredibly hard to replicate. We wow. haven't we haven't figured out how to do that yet. That's well. What's your thought? What's your thought process on that? Like as these these substances start to get more accepted, popularized, decriminalized. You know, Washington decriminalized all plant medicines uh, in October. And uh, so, what's what's your what's your take on that? It's the 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 mass availability of a lot of this stuff one side and then the other side uh the synthetic compounds that drug companies are going to try to create to help uh their profit because if we can just grow you know cubenzies in our backyard which a lot of us can do and depending on where you're at why would i spend the money to go to the store and buy them Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. so like yeah so what's what's your thought on the, the 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 now more wider availability and acceptance of this the proliferation of psychedelic uh technology um you know i work a lot with mdma right which is a synthetic uh it's a complicated question and and i'm not sure exactly what you're asking but um you know i think there's a lot of different levels that i could answer it Mm -hmm. uh 
I think that it's interesting to watch our culture adopt psychedelic medicines uh, and to see the meeting of, as they say, the meeting of the eagle and the condor. Mm. Uh, you know, the eagle comes linear, it comes uh, capitalist, it comes, you know, with a, a lot of oppression. There's plenty of oppression in, in the rainforest too, by the way. You know, it's not like we're the only, we're not, we own oppression. Okay. Uh, we're just real good at it. Yeah, we're really good at it. <laughs> um, and, and the kinds of oppression that we use are different. Uh, this medicine is coming to help with that. It's coming to help with all of that. And guess what? It's going to be messy, right? Just like the medicine itself is messy. Mm. You take ayahuasca, like as not, you're going to puke your guts out. You take combo, you almost certainly are going to puke your guts right. out. Uh, you're going to cry. You're going to feel pain and remorse, regret. You're going to feel difficult emotions all over the place. Mm. Um, on a personal level, we accept that as part of the healing process. You got you to gotta get rid of that stuff. Well, where's it going to go? You know, you got, it goes in the bucket, right? It goes yeah. out of your eyes. It goes out of your mouth, right? And we need that. We're humans. That's how we, that's how we work. You know, stuff just doesn't disappear out of our system. It has to go out. Right. And so we can look at that on an individual basis and we can honor it and we can say that's a beautiful process even though you're, you're, you feel miserable and, you know, it's causing all kinds of chaos in your life. But we can say, uh, hey, this is all part of the healing process and you're, you're actually making progress. You just, it's just uncomfortable right now. Right. And then we look at it as a culture, right, and the government looks at it as a culture and, and sees the, the bad behaviors that people um, – gets get caught up in it sees the the, the genuinely anything from uh you know all the way to psychosis sometimes with medicine use right um temporary and sometimes even permanent um we see the misuse we see the the, the loose containers we see the egos that get involved yeah. and we look at all that and we say oh this is destructive we need to tamp this down and, and end it and that's what they did right back in the 50s and 60s right and um and that doesn't work Right. And so how do we like honor as a culture that like, actually, this is all just part of our transformation and healing growth and growth. Like, yeah, we're puking out all kinds of stuff right now. And what that looks like on a cultural level is like people showing up with their huge egos, taking people down dark paths, manifesting um, dark energy in their lives and other people's lives, all that stuff. It's like, would I rather that didn't happen? Yeah, of course. I don't want, I don't like to see people suffer. Right. But, um, do I think it's all in the service of transformation and growth? I do. And so while I'm, I'm always, you know, I'm very conservative when it comes to medicine use. One of the things I like about the Daimy is how conservative it is mm. uh, and how safe the container is and how we make sure that when people come that they go through a process before they arrive and then we get support afterwards and it's, it's like as safe as we can make it mm. um, to reduce the chances of that, that mess spilling out uh, into other people's lives. But um, ultimately... I'm in favor of, of, of the growth of psychedelic movement. Um, and I'm in favor of like, just, you know, let's, let's do it as well as we can in terms of corporate capitalist ownership right. of that. Um, so far what I've seen is failure on the yeah. part of capitalist culture to capitalize on psychedelics. And part of that is because a lot of them are plant medicines that, you know, like you said, you can grow it in your backyard or, or you can grow it in Hawaii and ship it over or whatever. Like, unless the drug companies can make synthetic ayahuasca cheaper than you can get it, 
they're not going to have much luck. Right. And honestly, it's pretty cheap. So, uh, you know, it's cheap enough that they're probably not going to see much profit in that. Right. And honestly, of course, that's probably what has driven some of the oppression and, and suppression of it. Right? right. Like, well, if we can't profit off of it and people are getting healing from it, um, probably going to lobby against it. Yep. Demonize it. Yeah. Yep. So, okay. Yeah. All that stuff's true. Um, and capitalists going to capitalists, right? Like they're going to try, they're going to try to make synthetic combo. They're going to try to make synthetic this, that, and the other thing. And ultimately it does come from, uh, an environment that is shrinking, that's under attack constantly. Uh, and the heavy use of things like combo and ayahuasca that, you know, they don't drive deforestation, but they certainly don't help. Right. Um, or they, they don't always help. They can, um, I, I'm fine with, but if, if they can come up with synthetic combo that doesn't involve causing harm to indigenous peoples and, and the rainforest, and it does the same thing, yeah, great. You right. know, I believe it when I see it. That's exactly you know? it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I believe it when I see it. But uh, you know, if 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 it happens, it happens. Yeah. In the meantime, we don't need it. Yep. So we got know. we got other options. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Well, with uh, you, uh, we're talking about MDMA, <clears throat> and you were uh, so those are therapies that you're now starting to work with uh, mm -hmm. medicines you're starting to work with within therapies. Mm -hmm. uh, so what is the uh, what's the main uh, usage that you're you're utilizing MDMA for for your therapy sessions? Or yeah, well, I, so I, let's be clear, I'm not a therapist, not a therapist. and no, I, I don't do therapy sessions, uh, and I would never claim that. Um, I'm married to a therapist. I have an incredibly high regard for that kind of work. Yeah, I'm, definitely. you know, considering the, the idea of maybe moving into that field, I'm getting some training myself, but right now I don't mm. have it. Uh, and so I'm just really clear about that with my clients. Um, that said, MDMA is an incredibly powerful tool for uh, addressing trauma mm. specifically. Okay. And everyone has trauma. Yes. It's better at addressing some kinds of trauma than others, to be honest. Um, prolonged childhood trauma, you know, where it's not uh, abuse per se, but it's just a, a parent who's distant and teaches you that, you know, in order to be valuable, you have to be funny or, mm -hmm. you know, all those kinds of little traumas that we grow up with and, and spend the rest of our life trying to figure out and, and solve and unwind and heal. Yeah. Um, MDMA is less effective at, at sudden transformational change with those kinds of traumas. It's really good at, um, PTSD and, mm. uh, you know, uh, veterans, mm. uh, survivors of, of violence, uh, the folks like that, um, MDMA is incredibly well suited to treat. Yeah. And, so my job in, in that scenario where I'm working, so you asked how I, I work with it. Mm -hmm. I work with it one-on-one, -on -one. Uh, occasionally a couple. Um, it facilitates communication on a deep level. Mm -hmm. And so uh, occasionally a couple will work together with MDMA and I'll hold space for that. Um, but mostly one-on-one. -on -one. And uh, what I'm really doing is helping the person uh, prepare for the session by... Um, examining their identity as much as possible. Why do you do what you do? Mm. Why do you want to change? What do you want to change into? I do my best to promote those kinds of thoughts leading up to the session. Mm -hmm. In the session, <clears throat> the medicine does most of the work. I hold space. I create safety. Uh, I offer comfort and support. Um, you got to be really careful with all medicine work. 
that you as a practitioner don't become the medicine, mm. right? You're not healing someone. Okay. And you don't want them to think you're healing someone. Because if they think you're healing them, then they're relying on you. And what the heck do you know? I don't know anything about I, what, what your, happened to you. Yeah. I don't know anything. Okay. I mean, I, I know some things, but like not as much as you do. Mm-hmm. And so you're the healer. And the medicine is the healer. And your interface with the medicine, that's where the healing is. So my job is always to redirect back to that. Wow. So someone is in the middle of their experience. They're suffering. They're feeling sad. They're feeling remorse. Um, they want me to tell them that it's okay. And I'm going to tell them, like, well, can you look at, like, why you might think it's not okay? Hmm. And just talk a little bit about that. And in the process of talking about why they don't think it's okay, they're back into it. Mm. Right? It doesn't take much. Yeah. I uh, just nudge them back into it. But if I say, oh, you're okay, it's okay, you know, then now they need me to say that for them to be okay. Right. Right. Yeah. That's not the goal. Yeah. Right? I'm not trying to make some, like, follower right, out of right. somebody. Right. And, you know, and from my opinion or my understanding of the human psyche, too, is like when we, can, when we can find a way to come to the understanding ourselves, even being led to that understanding – it lands so much deeper. So much deeper. And that's like the, the I think it's called the Socratic method, right? mm-hmm. where the Socrates you know, was claimed to be the smartest man of his time. Right. He self-proclaimed the dumbest man. He just asked a lot of good questions. Right. Right. And, and I just think keep that's, digging. Yeah, exactly. That's beautiful, yep. man. Another another metaphor that I really like that I, I use with people a lot is, um, and I learned it from uh, a woman named Laura Dawn. Uh, who quoted it from somebody in one of her podcasts, and I don't remember who she quoted it from, so you'd have to go listen to her podcast. But uh, I don't know if you know who Laura Dawn is. But she's, Name sounds familiar. Yeah, she's, she's a, um, another psychedelic podcaster. She's really smart and um, does, has really a lot of really smart people on the show. Cool. Uh, the, the metaphor is basically like if your consciousness was a mountain slope, mm-hmm. and the mountain slope uh, has bumps and ridges and ravines and uh, hollows and it's got a topography to it Mm -hmm. and uh and then it has a layer of snow that falls on it and your thoughts are like little skiers or sleds that slide down that mountain slope okay and they're going to be driven to go on certain paths because of the topography of the mountain slope your consciousness your Mm -hmm. identity and so those are your thoughts going down these tracks. And as they do that, they form tracks, right? And that makes those tracks more appealing for the next one. And as you develop yourself in your life, your thoughts are going to form well-worn tracks and tend always to go down those tracks. You want to transform and heal. You want to think different thoughts. And, and you try. Mm-hmm. And boom, they just get pulled back, right back into in, those yeah. tracks, right? You take a psychedelic medicine. You take a consciousness, consciousness medicine where you go into a non-ordinary state of consciousness. It's like three feet of fresh snow on the slope. Mm. It covers up some of the bumps. It fills up some of the hollows. It lets you sled and ski on different areas, different tracks, right? Mm. You get to feel what that feels like. It feels amazing, right? Wow, it's actually possible for me to forgive myself. Wow, it's actually possible for me to stop feeling so ashamed of this thing. Mm. Wow, you know, what a feeling. Wow. You wake up the next day. That three feet of snow has melted. <laughs> Your thoughts start to go back into the old tracks and you feel despair. Right. Right? You feel disappointment at least. Right? Oh, man, I'm still me. Mm. Well, what are those bumps right, and, and hollows and ridges that are on that mountain slope? Those are your traumas. That's your childhood. That's what you built for yourself in order to be able to survive. Right. That's your topography. Mm. Right? 
And that's what we actually want to change. And so it's sort of, the metaphor breaks down because, uh, you know, how do you change your identity? Well, you have to think about how to change your identity, right? And all oh, your thoughts are driven by your identity. It's sort of a yin-yang, like, okay, chicken and egg, you know, right, yeah. which one's which. But the truth is, like, the medicine's going to help you feel what it feels like and know that it's possible to have different thoughts and a different identity, different topography yeah. underneath. And that is going to give you hope and direction for how to change your identity and your thoughts. Mm. And so that's really what my goal is with the MDMA work is like, how can I show you that it's possible for you to be different? Not, and it's not going to be me. I'm just, how can I make it possible? Create the conditions where you can see that it's possible. Mm -hmm. And, and then just in whatever way I can help you, um, do some work to try to make that happen, yeah. you know? And so the integration afterward is twice as important as the preparation beforehand. Right. You prepare all you want. The truth is the medicine is going to meet you where you are. And you, so you're trying to change where you are. That's the preparation. You're trying to change where you are, mm -hmm. but you got these tracks. Your thoughts are going on these tracks. You know, how much are you going to be able to change? Right. You know, not very much. Mostly you're just going to say, Hey, I'm going to think about this track more than this one right now. And maybe that means that the medicine will help me change that track. Mm. It's not going to actually change any of those tracks. It's going to cover them with snow. And then you get to like, maybe go somewhere else for a while. Yeah. But you're done. The snow melts. You're back to you. Okay. What's what, what do we want to be different? How are we going to do that? Yeah. I'm not a therapist. It's not a long-term relationship in terms of like, you know, I, I'm you're not going to come see me every week for the rest of the, you know, next three years. Um, but how can I give you hope and um, support so that you can do that work yourself? Mm. And maybe that looks like more medicine work. Maybe that looks like coming back for more MDMA, uh, MDMA, you don't really want to take more than every two or three months. Right. Um, yeah. just cause of brain chemistry reasons. Right. Uh, so, you know, what other things are available? Uh, do you have a therapist? Do you want some help finding one? Um, it's not just the work. It's just not just the session with the MDMA. Yeah. You know, that's really just kind of the technology that we're using to like as a lever to mm. help like, okay, you know, yeah. Do the heavy let's, lifting. Let's get you set up. Yeah. For right some on. change and then you got to make it happen. Yeah. Is that uh, so is MDMA a therapy, uh, a medicine you're looking to expand your understanding on and continue to use in a more, you know, more. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's in the, it's definitely in the legal, dark gray area. Right. Um, and so you have to be careful about how, uh, you get your name out. You have to be careful about who you, uh, accept as a client and how you communicate with people. Um, and it's really unfortunate that that's the case. And ultimately for me, like the good outweighs the bad, like it's, you know, uh, things are moving in the right direction in terms of legalization. Mm -hmm. And in the meanwhile, the amount of healing that's available you know, the transformation that I see in people's lives, it's like, I can't not do this. Yeah. I can't not do it. Yeah. And, um, and that's my guidance, you know, that's my alignment. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, as I said, I just quit my job in the software industry after 22 years, uh, climbing up that ladder. And honestly, uh, I couldn't do it anymore because this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. And so I'm going to do it. Yeah, definitely. And, um, and then, and just navigate the reality of the world we live in as best I can. Yeah. And, uh, you know, from, from an outsider looking in, it, it seems like you are on the right path. You're on your path. 
you know, and that's, I think that's all it is. You know, you're, you're passionate about what you're doing. You feel, I, I, I see the, uh, the joy in what you talk about and the help that you're helping to help people find. Um, it's, it's such a beautiful thing, man. And once, once we really get that taste of our true path, um, you know, everything kind of falls away. You know, like the, where is my money coming from? It's going to be provided. You're, you're doing the right thing. Where is, uh, what's the next step in my life? Just pay attention. It'll be right there. Yeah. Yeah. It just feels like when you're aligned, then, then you're aligned, not just with your own heart, but like everything that your heart's connected to. And so, um, yeah, everything you get taken care of. Yeah, for sure. Most definitely. Yep. So what's, uh, what's, what's on the next path for you? You know, where, where are you, are you growing into another medicine to utilize? Are you deepening your understanding of what you're currently using? Is there an understanding of where your next path might be or this path is taking you? Oh, I mean, my plate feels pretty full right now. Yeah, sounds like uh, it. Yeah, between like leading a dining church, uh, doing sessions, doing these trauma sessions with MDMA, and then working with Combo, uh, raising a daughter, hmm. um, being married, you know, it uh, it all adds up to a very full life. Yeah. Um, so for now, you know, that's, that's all enough. Uh, I have much to learn in all of those areas. Uh, and so it's a, it's a joy to be alive and get to be, um, living the life that I'm getting to live right now for as long as it lasts. And, uh, I have no idea what might be next. Um, I think just, you know, the, the men's work is, is really, uh, powerful. And so I could see that growing, Mm -hmm. um, doing groups with medicine work long term, but not, you know, too long. So there's a finite, um, beginning and end. Uh, yeah. And then just the, the individual sessions are so profound. It's, um, I, I'm not looking for anything else yeah. to add. Yeah. Yeah. I've Absolutely got enough. That. Good, good. Yeah. No, yeah. I, there's so many times I think in, uh, in our Western minds, we're just thinking about what that next thing is. Yeah. You know, how can I advance this or grow that? Or, you know, I had that, that conversation with myself a couple of weeks ago cause I, mm-hmm. I had started my own business, um, after COVID and, uh, and the corporate Adam side of me is like, grow, 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 you know, get, get the clients, get the stability. And then the other side of me is like, well, why don't I just, why don't I just be comfortable with what I have right now? And let's solidify this. Yeah. Knowing that that's out there and there's possibilities are endless, but why can't I just work within this box right now? Just be cool with what's in that box. Yeah. Or yeah. Or just, just trust, you know, just really trust that, um, for me, it's about trusting my, my supports Hmm. like just trusting the world trusting life you know which is part of my internal trauma that i'm healing Hmm. is like you know i didn't grow up trusting the world i didn't feel safe and i didn't feel supported i didn't feel seen and now i live this life where i feel seen and i feel supported and um huge gratitude to my wife who uh has a full therapy practice and is you know has stepped up and said hey like it's 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 time for you to take some time and you don't have to earn as much and i got this i could not be doing this without her for sure Mm. uh it would have been harder i'll say that yeah um so you know so but it goes beyond trusting a person and into trusting for me what i call god you know, um, trusting God to, to carry me through if I'm doing my work yeah. and being authentic and being in alignment with, uh, what God has in mind for me. Mm. 
Well, brother, so. I'm so happy you're doing what you're doing, man. I uh, have yet to experience a session from you individually, but I, you know, just just hearing your passion and talking about it, and just hearing the way that you uh, that you speak about the medicine and the work itself, I, I, it's so beautiful, man. I appreciate what you're doing for humanity, dude. If Thank I can you. ever be of any help on your journey, please let me know. Thank you. Well, um, I mean, I, I feel the same way about you. I think like, you know, podcasts like this, getting the word out, getting um, understanding and, and promoting a, a responsible understanding, not to say that I know best. It's not about what I'm saying particularly, but I, you've done a lot of episodes with a lot of different people. And I looked at your body of work and, um, you know, the, the getting the conversations to be more mature and more uh, out in the open mm. with people who are thoughtful and, and, that, and that people can see that the people who are on this path, the people that are doing this work aren't crazy, yeah. right? Aren't young kids, aren't out to just out to make a buck, exploit the system, you know, be drug dealers, whatever. Right. You know, it, it's like there's so much negative conceptualization of what this work is that has like literally nothing to do with the actual work, mm-hmm. but has a lot to do with some of the things that have happened. Yep. You know, it didn't come from nowhere. And so being able to illuminate all that and say, Hey, like that's not the whole story. That's not my story at all. Uh, and having an opportunity and a platform to do that, that's thanks to people like you. And that's a huge service. So I really am deeply grateful to you as well. Appreciate that brother. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Well, man, I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day, man. And again, I'll, I'll look forward to talking with you again, brother. Yeah, for sure. Anytime. Thanks so much for having me. You got it, man. Thank you so much for spending time with Ben and I. Uh, there are no show notes for Ben. So if there is something that sparked your interest about this conversation, please reach out to me and I'll pass it along to Ben. But thank you so much for supporting the show. Thanks for liking it. Thanks for subscribing. We'll see you next time on Basins and Love.